Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcasts. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our pastor of student ministries, Dave Cox. And it's entitled, Remembering Christ, A Closer Look at Communion. Well, good morning. It is great to be here with you guys today. I just want to say, um, a lot of you, I think, have junior hires, and uh, they go over there in junior high, and I just wanted to give props to Dre. He's doing such a good job, and um, we're just really proud, Dre, to have you here, and all the work he and his staff are doing. So, got a good uh, ministry going. Well, this morning, we're going to continue on with our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and the topic today is the topic of communion. Um, I remember I, I went in uh, Mike Yearly's office earlier this week and I was talking to him a little bit. Hey, here's some thoughts I was thinking for the message. And he goes, just make sure, don't be boring. I'm like, whoa, easy, trigger, you know. Uh, but, you know, why, why would he even say something like that? Do you know, <laughs> hey, don't go there, easy. Uh, <laughs> now, why would he say that? There's, there's a real sense, if you come to a passage that is really familiar, that you've, you've read it a lot of times, you've, you've, you've actually participated in communion a hundred, several hundred times, something can start feeling um, almost mechanical. You're doing it and you've done it so many times that there's not necessarily a lot of sense of emotion that comes with it. It just feels like, yeah, this is part of just something that we do. And it just becomes kind of like this tradition. And it can, the, the place where it had so much meaning could feel like that meaning has been lost. And so the danger that we have this morning as we approach this passage is that we could come in here and we're like, oh yeah, I've heard this. And our minds just click off. Um, and even more, our hearts just kind of go, uh, kind of numb. And we start fading into lunch mode. Um, so the challenge that I just want to say this morning as we open this, I want to just say, can you just try and come at this? And I'm going to do the best that I can as well. As we look into this passage, um, just try and come with the freshest sense about this. Where, um, just give God a chance to even give you a new nuance or a new sense of what he wants you to be hearing this morning as we take a look at this and, and come away with a real freshness. Um, and to start off, I just want you to consider for a moment one thing. Um, this this first communion was such a powerful, powerful thing. And sometimes we, we lose the emotion of that moment. So to even give you a sense of that, I want to just ask you to consider this for a moment. Consider that you found out you've only got one more night and tomorrow you're dead. And during your last night, you get to have a final meal with whoever you want to have it with. You can invite anybody you want. Who would you invite? Um, as you think of who you would invite, um, there's a whole other thing is what would you say? That would be, what an, what an evening that would be. I reflected on that briefly and I, as I thought, it's like, man, who would I invite? My mind went all over the place for a little while and pretty much it settled in, man, you know what? I probably would just get my family. I'd probably just gather my family. And I would, you know, that would be the night where I just, I'd say, you know, this is what you've meant to me, each one of you. You've given so much to make me who I am. And I could go each one and just share with them. I think there'd be a sense of challenge also. You know what? Um, all of you in some way have just represented Jesus to me. So if I could say one last thing on my night is, man, if I could challenge you, represent Jesus, continue to live for him and him alone. Could you imagine the power of that night um, if you had an, an evening like that? 
That is exactly what Jesus went through. Um, we are going to take a look at how communion got started. We're going to end up going to 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to start somewhere else for the first point, and then you'll see where we go with it. So just hang out, because you're going to see 1 Corinthians really goes into this as well. But I want, I want to take you back to how communion actually got started. And this very night, where, what I just explained to you, Jesus went through that very same experience. Um, and to do that, I have to take you back to Egypt just briefly. You know, there, there's something known as the Passover. And the Egyptians ended up in Israel. They were in bondage. They'd been there for over 400 years. And uh, it was one of those things that started out good, but then they got a new leader, a new pharaoh, turned it evil. Um, there was a plan of genocide. They were used for slave labor. They realized they needed help. And they, they remembered God had called them actually to the promised land, not to Egypt, and that God wanted to rescue them. And all of a sudden, their hearts began to change. Their love for Egypt began to change, and they realized they needed salvation from there. And they cried out. That's when God had sent all those plagues. Until finally, the last one, the Pharaoh was so hard, it, it, it took to the very last plague that was going to affect every home in Egypt, where the firstborn would be taken by the Lord. It was that severe. Um, if you could imagine a night where all the firstborn children were killed, could you imagine that in Simi Valley in San Fernando Valley the next morning that you woke up? That is unbelievable. But that's how serious the, this had become. Um, the plan for God's people who were to be the witnesses for the whole world, there was really a plan of genocide behind this whole thing. And so the Lord went to the fullest extreme to represent uh, the fact that he will be the salvation for his people. They're set free. Um, but to be set free, even the children of Israel had to do something that night. They had to take a lamb. Um, they had to slay the lamb, and then they had to put blood on the doorposts. And the angel of the Lord would pass over their home. That's how we got the name Passover. And so it was just a powerful night when there's two things. There's judgment and salvation all mixed in to one night. It's a fascinating experience, and they go out. And the event was so monumental that the Lord says, I want you to remember this and always remember this night. In fact, the entire Jewish calendar was redone, uh, where that was now the first month. They redid the whole calendar because the event was so powerful. In fact, he says, I want you to remember this each year. I want you to remember Passover each year. And once a year, they would celebrate this thing called Passover. And it was part of their, their whole makeup. And when we come to the first communion, I share that with you because when, how communion got started was at a Passover celebration with Jesus. Um, and the Passover used to be a remembrance of the salvation and, uh, from Israel. And it was also just a picture of man. As believers in the living God, we purge all sin from our life. And they do these crazy um, if you, if you read through and do all, see all the preparations that they would do, they would get rid of all the leaven in their home. Leaven is what would make the dough rise. But it was a symbolic way of saying, hey, anything that's going to build us up, make us prideful, puff us up, sin in our lives, we're going to remove that. So for a whole week, that has to go out of the home. Even the head of the house would search through the house with a candle, looking in all places to ensure there's no leaven in the home, meaning our lives are clean before God. And then they they could go on with their Passover celebration. And they'd, each family would sacrifice a lamb. 
Now, I'm just going to read this. You don't need to turn to Luke 22 um, right now. I'm going to share this before we go to our Corinthians part. But listen to Luke 22, because this is the setting that the very first communion ever took place. And this is what it says. Luke 22, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, go and make preparations for us to eat Passover. Let me just give you a snapshot. To prepare for Passover was a big deal. Every Jewish family had to have a little lamb that was one year old. It was a male. This little lamb had to be perfect. Um, no blemishes. It was the pick of the litter. It was the most perfect, cute little lamb you can find, literally. And God wanted something that looked, you know, when they're a year old, how cute they are. It's like, cutest little time for a little lamb. God wanted something to look so pure, so innocent, because that's what his life would ultimately represent, because this Passover was ultimately pointing to an ultimate sacrifice, a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. And so there was deep, deep meaning in this Passover. So they'd have to take this little lamb. In fact, they would invite it into their home. They'd have to watch this thing for four days. So it'd be in there with the family. They'd watch it. Now, could you imagine little kids? You think they're going to get attached to that after four days? Yeah, they're going to eat that in four days. It's, it's how bad it gets. Not only slave, but they eat it. So there's a lot of emotion that even gets tied into it. It was a way that God says, I want every sense that you have. Your sight, smell, sound, touch. I want everything involved because this is such a big deal. When they take that lamb... Um, and anybody who is in three days walking distance to the city of Jerusalem were all to come and gather at Jerusalem. Now, there were, they, they would estimate there's probably about two million Jews that would come into the city at Passover. Huge, huge thing. And that's where you could see, hey, it started getting into, you know, people say, hey, this is a great way to earn some extra business. There's a lot of crazy things that went on. But the heart of this thing is everybody would come to the temple, and then there'd be a sacrifice of the lamb. Now, do you understand how many sacrifices we're dealing with? A lamb per family? And there's millions of people. It was a powerful and um, brutal and very beautiful all at the same time. Do you understand when they took that lamb, they would, they would lay it down, and the head of the home where it was to put his hand on the lamb. Uh, some would even interpret the, the translation to read as that they lean on it representing that um, the weight of sin that was represented by that family would be was to lean on that. So you're transferring the weight of that sin to that sacrifice. And then they would cut the slit the throat and the lamb would be sacrificed. It was brutal. Um, you understand that you're remembering, this is because of my sin. And the book of Leviticus is clear that only blood atones for sin. Um, the book of Hebrews says that this Passover is even pointing towards an ultimate Passover that would end all of these things. But you have to picture how brutal this was. Do you realize it says the little brook Kidron that was near the temple, it would run red for weeks because there's so much that went on. Now, don't mean, I, I want to get graphic in a sense just because, do you understand that that's how serious our sin is before the sight of the Lord? And we tend to minimize it but God never does. He understands how deadly it really is. Deadly spiritually and even physically. It kills. So that's the background. So when he says, hey, Peter and John, go. Go prepare for this. Go get the lamb. Then they would gather back together with some of that. 
and they for the Passover meal, they would come together. And then it says in uh, verse 14, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's already given pre- I'm about to suffer. He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice. Verse 16, For I tell you, here's the key phrase in Luke 22, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' way of saying that I'm about to fulfill what all of this has been pointing to for so many years. It's a powerful night. Just know there's a lot of emotion that Jesus had to be wrapped up in in this night. We know it. Remember when he prayed? It says he was sweating his drops of blood. It's just like so intense. And a lot of times we know that we're good with the deity of Christ. We know scripture is clearly clear that he is fully God. But he's also fully man. We have this some some kind of a, a thing that I know I think, and I'm sure a lot of us do. It's just this this thought. Well, he's kind of Superman, you know. He feels, but he doesn't feel. So when he gets crucified, it probably doesn't hurt as much. Or if he's feeling betrayal and rejection, that ah, doesn't hurt as much. You know, it's Jesus. No way, guys. This is real. This is this is a highly emotional and beautiful scene. All at the same time, that's the meaning of this first communion. He's redefining Passover. Um, to make this communion, saying, now there's a redefinition. Passover is no longer remembering salvation, the exodus there, but it's now going to be remembering me. Passover is now redefined as communion, as remembering Christ. And it redefines what the bread, the unleavened bread, and he redefines what the picture of the cup is. And even in that Passover ceremony in Exodus, it says, I will rescue you. There's a, or I will bring you salvation. I'll redeem you. Exodus 6, 6 says that. So there's a whole picture in this Passover that was always pointing to something. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm doing that. And it's that very, very night. Can I just read you a snapshot from the book of Isaiah? A prophecy that predicted that Jesus would be coming and doing this? Listen to this. Um, it says, we despised and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would ever look at him. There's nothing that would draw us to him. Uh, but he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that should have been, we have borne. All the while, we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did, were healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. All of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord, the Lord made the punishment fall on him. Lean on him. The punishment all of us deserved. He was treated harshly, but he endured it humbly. He never said a word. Like a lamb about to be slaughtered. Like a sheep about to be sheared. He never said a word. He was arrested. He was sentenced and led off to die, and no one cared about his fate. He was put to death for the sins of our people. He was placed in a grave with the wicked. He was buried with the rich, even though he'd never committed a crime or even told a lie. He was the innocent lamb. That's why even at all his trials, he was declared they couldn't find anything that he was guilty of except claiming to be God. Blasphemy. Powerful stuff, guys. Powerful, powerful stuff. You know, so as we come to this, Remember that what communion is such a picture of, 
was one of the most important monumental events um, of Jesus' life. In fact, the death of Christ was so monumental, even our calendars changed, B.C. to A.D., right? Um, it's just a powerful thing. And so the early church continued this whole celebration on. In fact, it says the early church was really known for getting together for apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, and communion, coming together and doing this. And they'd often remember it. But what so happens, and this is where we're going to focus today, because we're going to be sharing communion. That's why we're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians and see what it says, because there's, there's, there's some things that, that can really go wrong when we partake in this. We could really go off track here. And just like the early church did, it went way off track, and so God has to give us a warning. I'll give you a, a side note here. There's, you know, I was away on vacation last week, and uh, I, was, I went up to Hume Lake. My parents have a cabin up there, and so my wife and I are there, and we're in the house, and, uh, and while we're in the house, our, our dog, I have this big, beefy kind of dog, and our dog, Crystal, was hanging out in the front, and all of a sudden, she starts going crazy. Now, we're in the Sequoia National Forest. Um, there's a lot of things in the forest, okay? Uh, so the dog is out there, and it has found something in the forest. Okay, is this squirrel out here, chipmunk, what's going on? So I, I make my way outside. Well, here's the first scary sign. Uh, I'm walking out, and my dog is running back the other way. Okay, that dog doesn't run at things like that. I just, okay, so that's just a bad omen right there. So I walk over, and I'm like, what is going on out here? And I'm, about, I'm on the second story on this deck trying to figure out what is, I, and it's dark. You can't see. The porch light doesn't light very far. And all of a sudden, I just hear, <laughs> like the most evil hissing, like, now you're either going to run or freeze. And I froze. Uh, you know, the dog ran. I froze. Um, I'm like, what is that? And my first thought, literally, it's like, I know they have mountain lion sightings up here. And uh, that was like evil mountain lion right there. And so I freeze, and I'm like, okay, no sudden movements. You know, at this point, I was wishing I had my two friends with me, Smith and Wesson. Uh, <laughs> you know, fortunately, they were in the car down below. Um, and I could not, you know, so I freeze right there. And I'm like, what is that? And so... You know, I'm looking and I hear this thing and I can't see and it literally sounds like it's right under the deck. I'm like, is this lion hanging onto the deck? What is going on? And so I'm going real slow. I go in the house and my wife is probably braver than I, so we both come out with flashlight. You know, we look and the dog runs back out and again goes nose to nose at the deck and it's a raccoon. Like, are you kidding me? You know, and I really debated whether I should share this story with you. It kind of, you know, gets at my manhood here. Uh, it was a raccoon, easy trigger, you know. I'm telling you, it sounded huge, you guys. You've got to believe me. This is a big raccoon. This is a huge raccoon. Um, so there's this raccoon. But it was one of those things. Isn't it interesting that even in nature, that when you hear something that sounds so vicious and evil, like we know, okay, we could die. All right? So God has given several warnings in nature. When you hear a rattle and you're hiking up in the hills, what do you think? Rattlesnake. You know, when you see a fin emerge in the Pacific Ocean, is your first thought, oh, dolphin. Huh? No. <laughs> We are not thinking dolphin when we see that. It's like God has given us very obvious ways, like warning, heed this, you may die if you're not careful. So in the same way, there are scripture warnings. This is like the fin coming up out of the sea. It's like warning, be careful, eyes out. And this is where in the book of Corinthians, Paul does such a careful way of saying there's two ways communion can go really, really wrong. So when you approach communion, I don't want you to go down these paths. Don't go into the deadly waters because it literally can be spiritual and physical death that you're walking into. 
So it's serious warnings. So as we go into this, um, we're going to be turning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to see one of the first warnings. You'll see it in your outline as well. Book of Corinthians, as you're turning there, let me just set this up. When they were doing communion by this point, they had, they made a big deal out of this thing. They'd come together, it was like a big potluck. Everybody's bringing their food, um, people are being invited, it was really good food, huge celebration, and so everyone's gathering. Um, but there was something weird. These celebrations that were supposed to represent the unity of believers, we're all in this together, um, representing the fact that we're sold out to the Lord together. Um, something goes really wrong at this celebration. Um, and as we go into it, I'm going to explain to you as we read. But let's take a look. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now I speak to sensible people. Judge your, for yourselves what I say. Isn't the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? That, that little cup is the communion cup. And is not the bread that we break. They would take like a matzah bread. We have matzah here today. They would break off a piece of that. The whole piece of bread representing one, representing unity. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf. They would literally take just one loaf, one piece of unleavened bread, and they'd all break a piece off. Representing that we're all part of one, um, but we're each a piece of that part. Because there's one loaf... We, who are many, are one body, for we all partake of this one loaf. They'd even use one cup, just a side note, they'd even use one same cup and they'd pass that around. Now don't worry, we're not doing that this morning. I know some of us get freaked out by floaties that could end up in there, you know, it's a little gross. So we don't do communion like that. And just a note here, the Bible never lays out, hey, you have to do communion specifically this way, this is how many times you have to do it. It, There's a lot of freedom in how we take communion. But that's, let's go on here. Verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Don't those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Now, what's he talking about? Um, I got to give you background because this all of a sudden, like, what is he saying here? He's going back to a discussion about idol meat. Remember, there's a big debate in chapter 8 that says, hey, can you or can you not eat meat that has been a part of a sacrifice to an idol? Because they take that and sell it in other places and... That's really the only place you could buy meat. And Paul says, yeah, it's not a big deal. Just don't do it. If it's going to be offensive to another believer, if they don't get that it's really okay, then you should hold back. But he is saying the one thing you should never do, don't ever take part in eating that meat in one of those ceremonies. You can't go to a pagan worship service where they're worshiping an idol, eating this meat sacrifice to this idol, because what you're saying is you're ta- having a meal with that God. Even though that God is not real, even though it's an idol, it's wood, stone, precious metal, whatever, that thing's not real. But what is real is what's behind that idol, which is demonic influence. The idea that the false beliefs that we will be challenged by are demonically influenced. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that says the God of this world has blinded the minds and hearts of unbelievers. There's a very serious, specific attack that goes out that anything that will twist the truth about who God is, there's demonic influence into having a lot of other false faiths out there to blind who Jesus really was. 
So here's what he's saying is you can't go to a pagan ceremony, have part in this idol ceremony, and at the same time go the next day and go have a ceremony saying you're all here for Jesus. You can't be all here for this, which is opposed to God, and all here for this, which is saying I'm participating in this meal communing with this God. You're either in it for Jesus or you're not in it for it. But don't come and do both. And so the first warning really could be sent up, don't have divided allegiances. Don't have a divided allegiance. Verse 20 says, No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. Now, we don't, we haven't, we don't always talk about this very much, but Scripture's clear there is a real Satan. He is an actual part of the angels that were created, but he fell away. Too prideful. Um, Third of the angels fall with him. So there's real demons out there, real demonic influence. Um, so this is real life stuff we're talking about. I remember going to Starbucks and having a, I was meeting somebody for a counseling appointment and this guy was so deadly serious. He was literally starting to sweat and shake as he was talking to me. And he's like, listen, I, I, if I share this with you, your life may be in danger. Really? Uh, okay, maybe we could reconsider meeting. You know, we'll... <laughs> I didn't say, I'm like, okay, can you explain why you feel like this? He goes, this is a real spiritual thing. He's going to share some spiritual experiences he's had, but he knows if I know these things that I could be under spiritual threat. It was just this bizarre kind of conversation. And I said, can I just let you know something? That whatever spiritual force you're talking about, I want to be able to share with you about a spiritual force that is over whatever force you're talking about, that has ultimate authority. So you have to have no fear in what you share. I personally don't feel fear about what you're going to share with me because I know the one who created all things and I'd like to share that with you today. Um, and he went on and shared those things and I'm still here. It's all good. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's, there's real intent purpose that the enemy's goal is to divide our allegiance with the Lord, whether it's through some kind of belief system or through something else that will grab the allegiance of our heart. Does that make sense? So he's very specific in all of that. Um, Verse 21, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and in the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So the whole point on this, guys, is even the Corinthians had some weird views. They thought, well, if I take communion, it gives me immunity. I can go and do these idol feasts. No, no, no. It's not immunity we're talking about. It's your allegiance we're talking about. So, so that was one of their weird views. Um, there's also this weird view that some had that if you take communion, it gives you some supernatural power that you'll be free from kind of sin and temptation. Huh? So just know, when we come to the table today, it's not some magical thing. It's not giving you forgiveness. What gives you forgiveness has been done by Jesus already. And we come to the table because we've already come to Christ. And we're remembering him. It's also not some magic thing that's going to make you immune this week. It's not like that. It's about the allegiance of your heart. So when you come to communion, you've got to check to make sure you don't have a divided allegiance when you come. So for us, that's the part where you've got to take a look. And there's a lot of things that could divide our allegiance. We talked about beliefs. And even you're going to hear a lot of crazy beliefs. There's pluralism, postmodernism, universalism, perspectivism, um, and if you buy into those hook, line, and sink, sinker, you could go to something called going to hellism. <laughs> Literally. You know, what they're saying is that all beliefs don't, you know, it's all the same. 
you can believe anything you want. Everyone has a saving truth. Really, that's not what Jesus is saying. He said the way is wide, but the road is narrow that leads to life. And it's through me people find it. Through Jesus people find it. So don't get confused. That stuff can be deadly. So he says, be careful of that, which means there's a lot of belief systems that we can all fall into that are contrary to Jesus. And a lot of people unwillingly or unknowingly go into them because they can be even be set up like, hey, this is a Christian thing. Um, it could be, hey, this is a Jehovah Witness Christian, or this is a Mormon Christian, or you're now a Buddhist Christian. Well, if you really look into all those things closely, there's a very different Jesus they're all referring to. They're all contrary So you can't say, hey, my allegiance is there and here. It doesn't work like that. We want the true Jesus, the Jesus of the living God described in his, in the Bible. So it's one of those things you got to check the belief systems as you're going into it. There's also a sense where you got to check. Is there anything occultic? Are you knowingly participant of anything that's occultic out there? Some people say, well, I'm a Christian witch. Whoa, trigger. Uh, well, I'm a white witch, though. What? It doesn't matter if it's white magic, black magic, whatever that is. It's just opposed to God. We shouldn't be the ones opening and reading the, doing palm readings, astrology. That is opposed to God. ESP, ESPN. Just joking, guys. Boy, I had like four guys in the back just woke up. Whoa, hey, easy. You know. No, no. But the, the idea is, though, what is, what is grabbing? You're, you're saying your allegiance is somewhere else. So you got to be careful with that stuff. Is there any alliance that you have in your heart that is contrary? Anything you're setting up as an idol, as more important than Jesus Christ, that's what he says. Don't come to the table divided like that. That's a big deal. So whatever it could be for you, whatever is your idol, what can become more precious to you than Jesus, check your heart before you go. Because when you go to that table, you don't say one foot's in with you, Jesus, and another foot is in with whatever else. You can't go out of here premeditating the fact that you're going to go sign up for an online porn thing and then say, you know, Jesus, today, right now, for this moment, I'm all for you. But I know right after the service, I'm going to go home and do that. Your heart is already divided. So just check whatever it could be, whether it's a money thing or a relationship thing, whatever it could be, don't come divided. That's warning number one. That's the fin coming up out of the water. All right? Number two, there's a second warning. He says, avoid divisions in a church. Or another way of saying it, avoid divisive attitudes. Divisive attitudes. Avoid divisions in the church. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you, communion... um, is really such a powerful thing. Remember, it's a picture of unity. We're all in this as family together. Now, verse 17 says this, 1117. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Now, let me just say this. If Paul is writing to you about your church and he says, I have no praise for you, that's really a bad omen right there. You know something bad is about to be told to you. Um, For your meetings do more harm than good. That's harsh. You shouldn't come to church. It's worse than if you would have just not met. See how serious this is? In verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you came to get, come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which you have approval for God. There's going to be some differences knowing who's saved and who's not. But just a brief side note. Do you know that when you come to a church like this, if you come to Rocky Peak, this is a place absolutely open to diversity, 
doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, if you are rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're PC or Apple, uh, if you recycle and those who don't, whatever, you know, you, it's welcome here. And we're not saying that all theological options are open at this church. We really hold on to scripture. But this is a place where there should be diversity and stuff. Uh, verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another one's getting drunk. Okay, hold on here. This is a bad day. So let me just describe how this would work. They'd get together in a home. A lot of times these homes would be um, kind of a wealthy person, and the home would have this really nice dining area, not real big, so it didn't hold a lot of people, and then like an atrium area where a lot more people could sit outside. Well, what would happen? The rich people would come early, and they'd have this amazing meal. It was so good. The best food, the best wine, they're having it. Well, they didn't just have a little wine. Some of these people are like falling over drunk, okay? But this is coming together to honor the Lord as communion. Okay, do you see how Paul's saying this is not good? Now, it's not only you're just getting drunk and making a mockery of what this is supposed to be about. When you're coming together, you're sending the poor people outside and they don't, they're getting table scraps, literally. The ones who, you know, the whole picture is that Jesus gave you everything, but you're hoarding. You're not even sharing with them. So if you have an attitude that you're a little more superior, the problem is arrogance. They're coming in here with a sense of superior attitude because they're richer that they can have this exclusive thing. And the people who are poor are coming together and it's a division in the body based on economics, social status. And he says, this is not honoring God. Now it goes on. Um, Verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in or do you despise the church and humiliate those who have nothing? Well, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? No way, certainly not. For I received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night on which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body. Literally translated, do this as my memorial, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It's about remembering Jesus. The whole idea that the cup represents a new covenant. Another way of saying that a new way of relating to God. We used to come to God like this. Now we come to God like this. We used to come with animal sacrifice. Now Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. We don't do that anymore. We used to go through a high priest. Now we go directly to Jesus. There was the old. This is all new. That's the picture. Verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. The key here, you guys, is that unworthy doesn't mean that you um, are leading an unworthy life or have led an unworthy life and now you're disqualified from taking communion. The heart behind this whole thing is those who are making a mockery of what should be the most sacred thing. So the idea is, I, I don't care, and let me just tell you this, I don't really care what you've done this past week or in your past life. If we had a service where I said, hey, we're all going to get up and share the three worst things we've ever done. Let me tell you, you'd pay attention, number one. Uh, Number two is it would be pretty crazy. We'd be shocked about things we've heard. 
Do you understand that when we come to the table, it says we have all sinned and fallen short. So it's not the fact that we have had an unworthy life in some sense when we've come to this table. The issue is that when we come to that table, we've come repentant. We're saying we're turning from that. We follow you, Jesus. You have my allegiance, and I'm not going to come with an arrogant attitude thinking I'm better than anybody else, and even disregarding people right in front of me. That's what it's saying. So then it goes on. Um, a man ought to examine himself, verse 28, before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's how serious God is with this. Don't mock the communion table. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's Bible code for died, okay? Um, literally, God has allowed people to become sick and die because of such a wrong attitude when they've come to remember Jesus. They've thought about themselves or harbored sin or something. Verse 31, how do we get around this? But if we judged ourselves, we wouldn't come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Not saying that you're going to lose your salvation here. There's a, I don't have time to go into that, but that's not its reference. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Specifically at those meals, don't the rich people eat and then invite the poor people later or know they're coming late. Don't do that. Um, if anyone's hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give you further directions. Jesus is serious about this unity thing. That one loaf, one matzah, whatever it is, representing that we are all unified. It's unleavened, representing that we're purging ourselves of all sin. But it's also one, representing our unity. So when we come to this table today, and we're about to take communion, you just make sure you examine. Do you have arrogant attitudes? Is there something in there that you're saying, "Ah, you know, I'm single, I only hang out with single people. Or I'm married, I'll only hang out with married people. Or I think I'm really cute, I'll hang out with the cute people. I'm really successful, I'll hang out with the successful people. Well, I'm athletic, I'll hang out with the athletic people. Or I'm, you know, you go down the list. I'm educated, I'll hang out with the educated people. Um... Uh, And it could be racial, it could be political, it could be economic status, it could be whatever. You could put the list in there. So don't come to the table comparing yourselves to other people with an arrogant attitude. And don't disregard the people around you. And if there's an issue between you and a brother, you and a sister, make sure you come to the table not knowing that you're maliciously hurting someone and not having a sense where you're trying to resolve that. And if you've tried to do that, just know in Romans it says, as far as possible with you, be at peace with all men. So you do what you can do. And if they don't give you freedom on that, well, before you and the Lord, you're clean. But at least in your own heart, you know you come to the table trying to do what you can to be right with people and right with the Lord. That's the heart behind this. Does that make sense? So don't come with a divided allegiance. Don't come with a divisive attitude when you come to that table. We need humility and repentance. So we're about to take this. In your outline, it says, how do we prepare for communion? I'm just going to list this stuff off quickly because it's just reference to what we've talked about. First, you have to ask this question. Do I believe in Jesus? See, communion is for believers. It's always been for believers. 
But it doesn't, you don't have to have to go through some communion class. You don't have to go through confirmation. You don't have to do those things. As a believer, whether you're one minute old in the Lord or you've been a believer for a hundred years, you're free to come to the table as a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you're in here, man, I've heard this stuff for the first time. I never understood the sacrifice that Jesus is God. He did this ultimate sacrifice and you believe today. You come to the table today. That's how it works. Secondly, prepare your heart. How do you prepare your heart? You know, four quick things as a reminder of what we just talked about. Number one is you look back to the cross. Look back to the cross. You know what's interesting on Passover, what they did? Um, when they took that blood and they put it on the doorpost, they tap it up on the top, what they call, I think the lintel, and then one on each side. Isn't that interesting what it's a, kind of pointing towards? A picture of the cross. And then they'd walk into their home where God would pass over and give them salvation and covering and redemption from Egypt. All an amazing picture that because of the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, we get to walk into the door. Jesus says, I'm the door to salvation. And through his blood sacrifice, we remember that when we come to this table, you remember that the cost of our sin, the most innocent sacrifice, you remember what he did for us. That's what you remember. Look back to the cross. Second thing, you look forward to Christ's return. You know, it's not just to be a somber time, but this is a time when you look forward. That I don't care what's going on. You have hope because Jesus is returning. It's a big deal. You imagine your life as a future without Jesus. Isn't that one of the scariest thoughts? Well, you're not without Jesus. And that, that table represents that. Number three, look in to examine your allegiances to Jesus. Look in to examine your allegiances. You know that in 1 Corinthians 5, it brings up that whole topic of leaven again, and it's really interesting. It says, um, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Another way of saying, when you come here, don't come with your, you know, holding on with malicious sin but come with sincerity and truth to that table. Make it real. So look in. Examine your allegiances to anything that will compete with Jesus. And number four, look around to others, especially others in need. Point is, Christians need to consider your present attitudes and present needs of other believers around you. Just be aware of our brothers and sisters. So when we walk to this table, it's a picture of absolute diversity. We all have different backgrounds and things, but we come as a family today. I am no more better because I'm a pastor than you are. We are on equal footing at the cross because we need Jesus. Are you guys ready to take communion? Let's remember the Lord now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I want us to all bow. Bow our heads. In fact, let's stand and honor the Lord right now. Just stand. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want absolute silence. Let's just be, let's just give some reverence to the Lord for a moment. Let's give reverence to the Lord. This is His time. And this is your time to not look at anyone else or think about anything else. This is your time to remember Jesus. So, Father, I would ask you now as we stand here in solitude and silence before you, that your Holy Spirit would have your way in this place now. Check our allegiances.
check our allegiances. If we don't want to look at it, Lord, make it so obvious. Keep bringing the thought back into our mind. Whatever it is you want us to acknowledge, examine our allegiance, Lord. Check our divisive attitudes, Lord. Malicious ways that we're intending to be divisive. If you're a husband and wife in here and that's happening, don't come to this table. Talk to each other. Pray before you come. If you're being malicious towards someone in this room, don't come to this table. Either confess it or you may have to go to that person, whatever. But don't mock the table of the Lord by doing that. As far as possible with you, be at peace with all men. But just be pure. Remember Jesus. Remember his sacrifice. And I want you to remember that you have a hope and a future. He is coming again. When the band begins to play now, um, you are free to participate when you're ready. They're going to do a couple songs. When you're ready, you come to the table. You may need to come and kneel here first. And just come before the Lord for a little bit. You may need to grab somebody and go pray with them. You may need to do that. Maybe you just want to bless and pray for somebody before you come. But we are a picture of unity now. And a picture that Jesus is in this place. So just take your time. This is the heart of the service right here. This is it. May God bless you as you partake in communion.
Let's pray together as a family. God, thank you. Jesus, Father, thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for what you continue to do. Thank you that as we take communion this morning, Lord, as we took communion, and as we're reminded of what you did, let it be a reminder of how valued we are. Let it be a reminder of how you see us, how you love us every day, how when sometimes circumstances make us feel like we're so small, but you are awesome God, look at us and say you're worth it. Thank you that that's such a daily reminder in our lives that we are loved by the Creator. And we pray as a church that as we go off in our week, in our months, in our years, every day we never lose our joy and our thankfulness for just being loved and valued by the highest of highs and the kings of the king, king of kings. We love you, Jesus, in your son's name. Amen. Well, that's church, isn't it? That's so good. So good to worship with you guys. And, you know, if I give you a final thought for today, it's, it's this. You know, no matter what you walked in here with, no matter what you're carrying as you go out, no matter how big or overwhelming life can seem, that when you come to a table, a communion table, you are reminded of a couple things. One, you have a church family, a family that will love and walk with you. Two, you're reminded that no matter how big things and how overwhelming things can seem, you have a God who does cover, who has given you ultimate hope, and you can walk out of here with your head held high, even if life feels like it's fallen apart, because you're not alone. And you have a God who loves you and is with you. So God bless you guys. We will see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.